0: All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. It is so good to see you. Welcome back to Community Church. It's good to worship with you. It's always great to spend time with our faith family, Um, just being together, loving on each other, laughing together, um, spending time in the Lord. It's always a great time. You know, we had a great time with our Sunday fellowship last week, our summer fellowship, we called it, and uh, I hope that Uh, you had a good time anyway. I know that I did. It was hot, but we were right by the splash pad. The kids had a good time. Uh, We've got another fellowship coming up really soon, and so I'm super excited about that. This will be our one-year anniversary celebration here at Community Church. That's going to be right after church on September the 11th, so um, you're more than welcome to come to that. We would love to have all of you. Uh, Potluck around the world, I think, is the theme, so Uh, If you can bring in dish, that would be great. If not, that's okay. I just want you to mark your calendars and be here if you can. We're going to have a great time that Sunday, September 11th. I can't believe it's already been one year. But uh, this morning, we're going to start a brand new chapter in our study through the gospel of Luke. In our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the gospel of Luke. And so, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to cover the first 11 verses of that gospel this morning. Luke 9 verses 1 through 11, and our comparison passages from the other Gospels can be found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, and Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 29. It's always good to compare the other Gospels if they have a similar uh, account, and so that's our comparison passages this morning. But as you'll remember from last week, before Jesus actually restored the woman who had the issue of blood, and before he revived Jairus' daughter from the dead, that Jesus and his disciples had returned back to Capernaum, which is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And so this is the setting here, and this is the place from which Christ is going to, for the very first time, send other people out to represent himself. Um, Now, we should think about that for just a second. This is a big deal, right? Uh, let the weight of that sink in. This is be this will be the third year of his ministry, and so he's been taking these disciples with him, and now he's going to turn them loose. He's going to send them out on their own. And so, if I think about that too long, I ask myself the question: How well do I represent Christ? You know, he's sending out these twelve men to represent him for the very first time. Um, I really like what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book *Mere Christianity*. If you haven't read that book yet, Uh, I highly recommend it. It is a fantastic work. But Lewis wrote this. He said, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. What a thought. Humanity's entire purpose is to know Christ, and as believers in Jesus Christ as Christians, our purpose then is to make Christ known. Right? And so in our study today, we're going to get to see sort of the maiden voyage, if you will, of Christ's 12 disciples. Luke's going to tell us over in chapter 10 that he's also going to send out 70, but here in our passage today, he sends out the 12. And so let's pray together real quickly, and then we'll get into our text this morning. Father, we are grateful again for this time that you have set aside for us to meet together as your people to get into the Word of God and hopefully get the Word of God into us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, through the power of your Spirit, speak to us, teach us. Lord, some of us need conviction, others need comfort, and you can provide all of that through the power of your Word and the power of your Spirit. So I pray that you would do that as we read and as we study. And it's in Christ's name that I ask it. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says this, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever you, uh, whatever house rather you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 6. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, meaning Jesus, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, meaning John the Baptist, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him, verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. OK, so Christ had already chosen his disciples and he had ordained them to ministry, so to speak. You could say in Luke chapter six, verses 13 through 16. And so since that time, they've sort of enjoyed this firsthand hand apprentice type of a ministry okay they've traveled everywhere with christ they've observed him in his own ministry i mean think about that what a privilege that must have been but now it was time for them to be commissioned to service big difference but an even bigger privilege as well this was a big deal and mark tells us that uh, over in mark chapter 6 verse 7 he tells us that christ actually sent these men out two by two okay so no more strength in numbers Right? No more watching their master. This time they were out on their own. And so, in a sense, you could say it was time for the the baby birds to be pushed out of the nest a little bit here. Um, They had seen Christ do these things, they had been taught by Christ, but now it was time for them to do the teaching. As G. Campbell Morgan said, here's the account of the first time that he sent men out to represent him. The whole church is in apostolic succession in the great work of witnessing for Jesus Christ and going forth for him. That's right. And so in this passage that we uh, just read, we're going to see actually three phases of ministry here in the life of Christ's disciples just from this passage. And I think personally that they correlate really nicely to the church as well. And we'll draw some of that out in a minute. But the disciples, the three phases would be this. They were sent, they went, and then they returned. Okay, and so when they returned, scripture then says Christ then took them aside privately to a place called Bethsaida, which literally means house of fish. Okay, so hang on to that thought because it ties into our correlation. What is the correlation between these three phases of ministry and the church? Well, the church is sent out, right? We're, in fact, commanded to go in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. However, it's up to us whether or not we go. Okay, so we've been sent, but will we go? Now, some of you may be tying together in your mind this idea of missions, right? And so you may be thinking, well, I, I don't have either the time or the money to go on a mission trip. I can't take that much time off work, and it's expensive, you're right. They are expensive. Uh, but trust the Lord if you feel like you're led in that way. He will provide. But if you can't, that's okay. That's not the entire point here, right? It's not a problem if you can't go on a mission trip right now, or if you can't take the time off work or what have you. Start telling people about Jesus in your own living room. Start there, right? That's the idea. And then work out. From that point, okay, start telling Christ uh, people about Christ where you are and work out from there because every single Christian is commanded to go, every one of us, and every Christian can go somewhere, right? And the idea is to keep going until one day Christ will return and he will take us home to our own private place in heaven, right? He took them to a private place. Christ will take us to his heavenly house of fish, if you will, okay? a heavenly Bethsaida, where the expectation is that it will be full of fish. Remember what he told his disciples early on in their ministry. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Men. I'll make you fishers of men. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And so what what we see today is now it's time for them to go fishing. Okay, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together. He gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. So Christ huddles up his top 12 here. He gives them, he gives them two things. Okay? He gives these 12 men two things, and they are power and authority. Okay? So power, it just means ability. That's what that means. Christ gave them ability that up until this point they didn't have. Okay? And the Greek word that's used for power is where we get our English word dynamite. Isn't that awesome? It's dynamite. So, of course, the disciples would need this kind of explosive power, so to speak, in order to cast out demons, in order to cure diseases, etc. And as Matthew tells us, Christ also told them that they would have the power to cleanse lepers and even raise the dead. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. And so now they had power over the natural world and they had power over the supernatural world, at least things in those worlds, right? But they needed something else because this power didn't belong to them this power was not their own and so therefore they needed authority okay which is obviously the right or the permission to use this power matthew 28:18 says and jesus came and he spoke to them saying all authority all of it has been given to me on heaven and on earth and so here what we see is christ commending both power and authority over to his disciples. I mean, it's his to give, right? And so he can give it to whomever he pleases, and these men were going to need it. Um, But I think we should understand here, too, that Christ gave this ability and this authority to these 12 men at this time, okay? It's specific to them. In other words, it's not to be understood that this is some kind of power that all believers possess, Okay, not at all. We'll talk more about that in a minute when we touch on some of the realities of spiritual gifts as it relates to the church. And I'm not going to do an exhaustive study on that here this morning, but I do have some comments on it that I'll share in just a bit. Verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. All right, so in verse 1, we see what Christ gives them. He gives them power and authority. But here in verse 2, we see what Christ gives them to do. Okay, preach heal that's what they're to do and christ will always equip you for the work that he's called you to do he equips those he calls and notice here these these men they didn't need a big pulpit to preach from they didn't need a fancy cathedral right no what they needed was power they needed power they didn't need a big television budget did they They didn't need a fancy suit or anything like that in order to preach or to heal. What they needed was authority. And so Christ gave that to them. Um, All of this, both of these things, power and authority came directly from Christ. And so um, I'm going to restrain myself here from not mentioning any names because there are charlatans out there today. You will hear them preaching as if they have this kind of power, as if they have this kind of authority. And they do not. And I have the list. I'll give it to you afterwards if you would like it. Okay. Uh, Come and see me, but I'm going to restrain myself here. Um, But Christ actually sent out his disciples to both preach and to heal with his full power and full authority. Okay. And Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verses five through six, that Christ actually sent these men specifically to the Jews. Okay, so they were headed out to the Jewish people. And of course, Matthew uh, would likely have emphasized that point because Matthew himself was a Jew who was writing to the Jews about a Jew. And so it was uh, very natural for him to emphasize this point. However, Luke most believe was a Gentile. We see that in Colossians 4. And so his emphasis would have been more toward the Gentiles and Christ's salvation to all people and things like that. And so it's not a surprise really how... Matthew and Luke make the delineation here. One detail is in one gospel and it's left out of the other. Uh, They're both true. But Matthew also records another interesting little tidbit from Christ. Um, So after Christ tells these men to go out to the lost sheep of Israel, the house of Israel, and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand to heal the sick and so forth, after all that, he tells them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he says, freely you have received, so freely give. I like that. In other words, guys, you didn't earn any of these blessings okay, that I've given to you. So don't be stingy with the power and the authority that I'm giving you to bless other people. Right? Do all things that you've seen me do and do them in the way that you've seen me do it. And notice here, the first thing that Christ sends them out to do is to preach. That's important. Okay, to preach the kingdom of God, and then along the way, heal those that are sick, okay? because it's always more important to heal a person's soul than it is to heal their body. Okay? And of course, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But the word for preach here that's used in verse 2, it literally means to herald, and I love that word. So the disciples were to herald or proclaim the kingdom of God with power and with authority, and then the miracles, what they would do would serve to authenticate or validate their message, right? But the message of Christ and his kingdom was always preeminent. And so Christ, when he taught, when he ministered, he did this exact same thing. He spoke about the kingdom, Luke 4, Luke 7, and then he ministered and healed, etc., after he had preached the kingdom of God, and he validated his teaching with his miracles. We've seen it in the life of the paralytic. We've seen it in the life of the woman from the city, didn't we? I mean, the message is always greater than the miracle, okay? Because the miracle, although it can heal a paralytic man, it cannot heal his soul. It can make him walk, but it cannot heal his soul. So the message is preeminent. But um, I do think it's, very critical that we understand this importance, this idea of heralding our king, okay? We don't, in other words, we don't offer up the gospel as a suggestion, okay? We herald it. We don't offer up the gospel as even an option for people to take under consideration, okay? No, what we do is we proclaim it. We declare it. We herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we do it with authority, right? Just like John the Baptist did in Matthew 3, uh, verse 2, and just like Christ did in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Both of them, their message was identical. They said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which of course means right now. It means Jesus Christ is king now, okay? And so right along with the message comes this urgency to respond to the message. And Mark tells us In Mark chapter 6, verse 12, that these disciples did exactly what Christ asked them to do and taught the exact same message that he did. Uh, The apostles went out preaching to the people that they should repent. And so, clearly to me, uh, the most important thing I think that you're going to hear me say, the most important thing that I want you to get out of this message today is that Christ is calling all of us to Repentance. Okay, he's calling all of us to turn away from our sin and to turn to him alone in faith for salvation. And not only that, it's urgent. It's urgent that we do so. Okay, remember, the kingdom of God is at hand. He is king now, today. In other words, Christ has come. And so, therefore, the time for salvation is today, right? Because none of us are promised tomorrow. So we've got to make sure. That we are absolutely 100% right before God. And I would encourage all of you to to know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that your soul is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so urgent that I would even encourage you to make sure of that even today. Don't leave here today without knowing that you're going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Um, Don't gamble with your eternity any longer. Surrender your life to Christ and be saved. But as I mentioned earlier, I want to say just a couple of things here about the apostles' gifts, uh, their ability to perform miracles, and what some have referred to as the sign gifts. Um, so I want to touch on that for just a minute here, but at this time, uh, when Christ had given them the power and authority, he had given given them these gifts, they were to authenticate or validate their mes- message okay um, that was one way that they authenticated the message that wasn 't the only way okay because of course, we know that Satan also has the ability to perform miracles, so miracles is not the only thing right we see this in matthew twenty four twenty four second Corinthians chapter eleven, second Thessalonians chapter two I mean the enemy of our soul knows how to work miracles okay so miracles aren 't the primary way to authenticate. Someone's message. The primary way to validate a person's ministry is through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, specifically the person and work of Jesus. Okay, what do you say about the person and work of Jesus Christ? And so if you'd like to do a little further study on that, uh, then I would refer you to 1 John chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 4 uh, for some clarity there and a little further study. But the question that many Christians ask today is, do the sign gifts still exist? Are they valid today? In other words, right? Are visible manifested gifts of healing and speaking in tongues or prophecy, things like that, other sign gifts, are they still valid? And are they still functioning today? Um, Well, I want to give you two primary views on this, okay? And uh, you can do your own homework here at the end and decide where you fall, but I'll tell you where I'm at but there's two primary camps and the first one is called continuationism. Okay. That's the first thought we're going to look at or one of the thoughts. The other one is called cessationism. Okay. These are the two primary thoughts in regard to the gifts of the spirit today. Now cessationists, what they believe is that at the end of the apostolic age, it brought with it a cessation. Okay. Of the miracles that were associated with that age. Okay. So in other words, Uh, At some point after all of the apostles died and scripture was completed, um, then the gifts ceased as well. All right. So that's what they believed. Um, Of course, they have several proof texts. Rather, they can take you to several different texts in the scripture to prove their point. Uh, Just like continuationists can, there's scripture uh, on both sides. And so that's why there's there's arguments still in the church today about these things. But a little bit about the continuationists, they believe that all of the gifts all of the miracles that we see in the scriptures are still valid today um, and functioning much like they did, although there there is much debate on the practice of these gifts, uh, and what I mean is um, Even many cessationists would not agree on how some of these gifts are manifested or practiced within the church, for example, okay? I'm not gonna take the time to go through all of that uh, today, but again, there's proof text on both sides. Uh, But it seems like to me that when you break all of it down, you can break it all down to one scripture, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, which says this, Paul writing said, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Okay? So Paul, of course, in context here, he's been talking about love, but he's also been talking about prophecies. he has been talking about tongues and knowledge and spiritual gifts, right? That's what he's been talking about. And he explicitly says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 9. But then that which is perfect when, rather, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Again, 1 Corinthians thirteen ten. So, it all boils down to what does he mean when he says perfect? What or who is perfect? And this is where the debate comes down to, okay? Cessationists, those who believe that the gifts have stopped, they mostly argue that Paul is referring to Scripture when he says the word perfect, Okay. However, continuationists mostly argue that Paul is referring to the person of Jesus Christ when he refers to that word perfect, okay? Now, in full disclosure, I put myself in that camp. I land there, okay? Because I believe that when Christ returns, there's going to be no more need for signs or miracles or whatever, because we will have at that time in our presence, the very one to whom all of those signs and miracles pointed. Okay. Until then, though, I do believe that signs and wonders and miracles will continue in the same manner, at least to some degree, as we see right here in scripture. However, one caveat, I do not believe that we will see them in a abusive or inappropriate or out of line sense that you tend to see in some of the more hyper charismatic churches today. Okay. And that's what I meant earlier by the practice of some of these gifts. We have a lot of debate as to whether or not it's actually biblical what's going on. So that was in no way intended to be a thorough study of the gifts of the spirit. Um, Again, I would encourage all of you guys to go and do your own homework, but when you do this, Do it with humility. Okay, when you look into the gifts of the Spirit, try to understand as best you can in all humility. But here's the deal. Regardless of where you come down on this issue, and we're all going to probably come down at different spots, uh, regardless of that, we should all be able to agree that we can disagree on this without dividing over it. Okay, this is a secondary issue. What is primary is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And him crucified for our sins and risen from the dead Um, so it's also uh, important I think to understand although at least in my my opinion again I think that miracles gifts all of that they do exist today that's my estimation Uh, I think it's also important for us to understand that regardless of our gifting regardless of where we find ourselves gifted from the spirit we are challenged we are commanded to go and teach and preach the message of Jesus Christ, regardless of our gifting. That's Matthew 28, 19. So in other words, the main thing is still the main thing. Okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is primary. The miracles and gifts are secondary. So now that we've got that established at least a little bit, let's take a look at what Christ did uh, when he told his disciples uh, all that they need to be taking with them on their trip. Verse 3, he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money and do not have two tunics apiece okay so here's the idea the idea is go in faith all right go in faith and trust God for your provisions Warren Wiersbe said they were not to take a begging bag I like that idea I like that word picture because that's what was it was commonly referred to as a begging bag this bag that they took with them right And they didn't need one. Why? Because God was going to provide for all of their needs, right? So just as he equips those that he calls, he also provides for their purposes in which he called them. And so therefore, all of our wealth, all of it can be found solely in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay. We don't need a begging bag, for instance. We don't need a loaf of bread. We don't need a pocket full of money, right? All we really need is Jesus Christ, okay? So to put it this way, I would say there's no need for us to overpack whenever we have Christ as our provider. Now, some of you might have noticed, especially if you're reading ahead in our, reading ahead in our studies, there's another apparent discrepancy here in the text, and I want to address that quickly before we move on here. Um, so both Matthew and Luke, in their gospel accounts, they say that the disciples are to not take staves. That's what Matthew and Luke say matthew 10 10 luke 9 3 however if you go over to the gospel of mark he says it like this in mark chapter 6 verse 8 he says take nothing for the journey except a staff whoa okay so what gives here i mean have we finally found this contradictory section of scripture that's just going to blow up the entire bible no we haven't uh note the the plural, okay? That's where we find the difference in Matthew and Luke's account. The word staffs is plural, but in Mark it's singular, okay? So the idea here is, guys, don't take anything extra. That's the idea here, okay? Don't take any extra staffs with you. The one you have will work just fine, okay? Don't take any extra clothes with you. The tunic that you have will work just fine, etc. Okay, so in other words, guys, I want you to take the, the essentials. Just take the necessary essentials and then watch me do the extraordinary. In fact, when these guys come back from this mission trip here that they're on around this region of Galilee, Christ is going to show them exactly how he can take what little they have and turn it into something that will multiply and meet the needs of many, many people. We'll see that next week in the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So Matthew gives us a little more detail again in his gospel in Matthew 10 verses 11 through 15 as to exactly how they were to choose the places that they were to stay, okay? Jesus tells them whatever city or whatever town you go into, you need to determine who is worthy and then stay there until you're ready to leave. So worthy, that word worthy literally means befitting, Okay, so Jesus is telling them, guys, um, you need to stay where people are sympathetic to the message. Stay where people are ready to hear what, what you have to say. For example, they're, you know, they're fit. It's befitting. They're fit to hear what you guys are going to be preaching, okay? Because, of course, not everybody would be ready to hear what these disciples were preaching. But just as Christ got back in the boat, you'll remember from our study, he departed from this region of the Gadarenes because why they asked him to leave. You remember that? That's Luke eight thirty-seven. So what he's doing here is he's telling his disciples the same thing. Guys, you don't have to stay where you're not wanted. Okay. And so I'll let you draw some application out of that on your own. Verse five, and whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So Again, Matthew gives us a little more detail, and he records Jesus as saying that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city, the city that rejects his disciples. That's Matthew ten fifteen. So we see the importance here of actually receiving the message of Christ rather than rejecting it. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but it is urgent. It is urgent. Time is of the essence, right? And so Jesus said this. Also, he said, if they reject you, then let your peace return to you, Matthew 10, 13, rather than letting your peace remain upon those who reject you. So here's what we learn. We learn three things from what Jesus is teaching these men here. First is this. The disciples do not have to stay where they're not well received. Okay. The second thing we learn is that judgment will be worse than burning sulfur, raining down like fire on the city that rejects Christ. That's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Genesis 19, 24. The third thing we learn here from what Christ is saying is that there's not going to be any peace. He said, let your peace return to you for those who reject you. You'll remember Isaiah 48, verse 22, that says, there is no peace, says the Lord for the wicked. Um, And that's exactly right, because the absence of Christ necessarily means the absence of peace. Okay, Uh, and so if they reject the message of Christ, then they're not going to receive the peace of Christ. And so it's with all of these truths here in mind, you know, that the disciples head out on their own for the first time. Verse six. And so they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, the word for preach here is different than the one we looked at earlier. Okay, in verse two, this is a different word. The word here used for preach actually is where we get our word evangelize. And so this gives us really in this text two primary definitions for the word preach. Okay, one means to proclaim. It means to herald the gospel, proclaim the truth. But the other, it means to evangelize as well. Okay, so preachers, we must proclaim the truth of God. And you're a preacher, by the way, just like I am. We are all truth tellers. We all share the message of Christ. But we are to proclaim the truth of God with authority and with power. But we're also to evangelize the lost with that same power and authority that comes from Christ. And so preaching the gospel is both a proclamation and an invitation, which is beautiful. And so Christ, he just empowered these 12 gospel preachers and he cut them loose all throughout this region of Galilee. And the word says this, it says they went everywhere. Isn't that great? Which tells us something. It tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone everywhere. But according to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples weren't the only ones that headed out. Matthew tells us that Christ went out too. So he sends them, and then he goes, right? And so after he finished commanding his disciples, Christ actually headed out alone as well. Think about that. Man, what an amazing community canvas that must have been, right? I mean, you think you get tired of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons knocking on your door? Wait till Jesus and the fellows roll into town. I mean, they're going to canvas that community. They went everywhere, the word says. But again, the point I think here is, is worth stating because... The fact that they went everywhere should tell us something. It should, I don't know, I guess the the way we could um, apply that to our life would be like this. As community church, we could say, how bad do we want to get the gospel message to Union, Missouri? Do we want to get it everywhere? I mean, are we willing to go everywhere? Right. And of course, we know this is going to be a process that took these guys a long time. In fact, this would have probably taken Christ and his disciples most, if not all, of his third year of ministry. Okay. So we know it's going to take time for us to get the gospel everywhere. But are we willing? That's the idea. The disciples were sent and they went. Verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because... It was said by some that John had risen from the dead. So this, of course, was Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. And he ruled over a fourth of the territory of his father. That's what a Tetrarch is. It's somebody who rules over a fourth. And so this is the same king, of course, who had John the Baptist murdered back in Luke chapter 3. Because John, of course, called Herod out for sinning against his brother's wife. I want to make note of a couple of things here based on that. The first thing is this. We should recognize, I think, the similarity between John and Jesus's ministry because John, although he didn't perform miracles, we know that uh, the gospel of John 1041 tells us that. However, both John and Jesus's message was the exact same. And it resulted in many, many believers. That's John 10, 42. Okay, so the message and the response to the message from John and Jesus was so similar that it had Herod confused. That's the first thing to point out. The second thing is that I think it's good to remember the ministry of John the Baptist. Okay, especially in those times when someone tells you as a believer in Christ or even tells me as a pastor Uh, in the church to never ever talk about politics that's a big no-no okay don't do that right that's what you hear all the time I'm going to give you something else to think about okay to be clear I'm never ever ever going to tell you who to vote for okay that's between you and the Lord I don't care but on the other hand I will never ever shy away from speaking the truth Okay, I'm not going to be intimidated into silence, okay, including in the realm of politics, because John the Baptist was a minister of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, and he had absolutely no problem speaking out against the sin of this politician. Right? He called Herod out personally. Now, of course, there was a high price for that. John lost his head. Okay? But his testimony. The testimony of what John did in his ministry has served to encourage people, Christians, for over 2,000 years, right? All of us who have ever felt the pressure to be quiet, to not say this and don't say that, etc., etc. John the Baptist's ministry has served as encouragement for all of those things. And so just let me encourage you, don't let your voice, don't let your Christian witness be silenced by the cancel culture of our day, okay? You keep speaking, you keep preaching the truth of God, always do it in love, always preach the truth in love, but we do not bow before our culture. As believers in Jesus Christ, we bow before Christ our King, okay? So we speak boldly in His name, always in love, but never in fear, okay? And here's the deal, we're just going to let the consequences come. Whatever happens, happens, because we know Jesus is coming too, and everybody needs to get right with Him before He does. Verses 8 and 9. And some That Elijah had appeared and others that uh, one of the old prophets had risen again verse 9 Herod said John I have beheaded but who is this of whom I hear such things so he sought to see him so I think the truth is I mean poor Herod man he didn't know what to believe he uh he didn't know what was going on the Jews did in fact expect Elijah to come back that's Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 Herod also knew that well I've already taken care of John the Baptist right got rid of him. So who in the world could this man possibly be? So the word says that he sought to see him, but clearly there was no real effort that Herod ever made to go see Christ as far as we can tell from scripture anyway. But the truth is Christ never sought an audience with the king either. He never sought out Herod because Christ always prioritized his preaching of the kingdom of God to the public. Okay. That's how Christ preached. He was never interested in gaining attention I mean, unfortunately, again, we see many pastors, many preachers today who attach themselves to certain politicians or political parties or whatever, uh, and it's an attention-grabbing thing. Christ was never like that. He focused his attention on preaching to the public, right? Uh, And of course, Jesus or John, neither one, were afraid of speaking speaking the truth, no matter what setting they found themselves in. In fact, you'll remember that Christ also called Herod a fox. Uh, He called him that in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. So they were not afraid to speak the truth. Now, just one more quick note here on preachers um, or for the preachers, I guess I should say before we move on, is that as preachers, as pastors, as teachers, we have to be more concerned with taking the message of Jesus Christ to the public than we are with aligning ourselves with a particular political position, okay, or politician, maybe not the position. We all have our political persuasions right but we shouldn't hitch ourselves to a political wagon Um, we shouldn't seek popularity we need to be preaching the truth but also do it unapologetically don't be afraid of being polarizing okay that's just going to happen the truth is what it is some people are going to receive it other people will not okay they will reject it but as long as we're speaking the truth in love then i think we're going to be right where we need to be as pastors and teachers of the gospel Okay. Uh, we just need to remember that biblical Christianity does not mean that it's passive. Uh, Biblical Christianity is not passive. It's very courageous, and it's very bold, and it's always 100% Christ-centered. G. Campbell Morgan said the result of the apostolic work was that attention was drawn to their Lord, and I love that. He said the result was their work, okay? And so they have no other details here, There's no statistics that are giving that. I mean, and that's pretty significant if you think about it. Um, What was important was their work. So they go out on this mission trip all throughout Galilee and and they come back and you're wondering how many people got saved? We don't know. How many people were baptized? We're not sure. You know, how much money was given to the Lottie Moon offering? (laughs) We don't know. Right. But here's the deal. Was the message of Christ preached? Yes, it was. And that's what's important, right? So they did their job. Verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, they told him all that they had done. And then he took them aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. I want you to look at something here. It's very interesting in the text. These guys left as disciples. Verse 1. A disciple is a learner. That's what that word means. Here in verse 10, they return as something else. Apostles. They're called different terms, aren't they? The word apostle means sent one. Okay, so they have been sent. They left as learners. They come back as apostles. I think that's pretty interesting. They were sent and they went and it changed them. They were changed. You know, every disciple of Jesus Christ is going to be a lifelong learner. That's true. Okay, but how much more do we learn when we go where we are sent and when we do the things that Christ has commanded us to do? I mean, these men had no doubt learned a lot by practicing all that Christ had been teaching them, you know, so they were getting some real on-the-job training here, right? They left green, but they came back grizzled veterans of the mission field, right? They were sent, they went, and now they returned, and so through the power and authority of Christ, these men were able to accomplish all that Christ had commissioned them to accomplish, and then afterwards, he brought them home, and here's where we see another correlation to the church, Guys, Christ is going to see to it that his mission will be accomplished. Okay? He will see to that. And he will empower everyone who is willing to go. Okay, And then he will return. He will bring home each and every one of his children. When they return, upon their return, after they have accomplished all that he has called them to do. This is just a beautiful picture to me. Um, now, of course, his disciples had to go back to their earthly home. But John the Baptist, as you know, he was blessed enough to be able to go on to his heavenly home, his eternal home. But Christ accomplished his mission through all of these men. So let's be sure, let's you and I be sure that we are on the right mission. Let's not waste our life anymore on things that aren't going to matter in eternity. Okay? let's all strive to get to our heavenly home with an amazing testimony to tell just like these disciples did here they came home with something to say right i want you to notice something else when they came home when they returned they said what they had to say to jesus they spoke to him directly in other words all that they had done they didn't tell the church they didn't tell their small group everybody at work they didn't post all their good deeds on facebook they didn't tell everybody on Instagram how hard they were working for Jesus. No, they just told Jesus. I love that. Because hopefully, maybe, maybe, someday the church will get back to this idea of reporting only to Christ, right? Here's why. Here's why I say that. Because I'm really afraid that too many rewards in heaven have been exchanged for accolades on earth. Because scripture tells us that he who does his good deeds in secret will be rewarded openly. That's Matthew 6, 4. So witness to the world. As a believer, you go public with your faith and witness to the world, but also store up your treasure in heaven. Right? Report back to Christ and store up your treasure in heaven. But after Christ had heard their report, he seen that his guys needed rest. Mark tells us that in Mark 6. And so after an important time of ministry, Christ headed out to give his guys some rest. You know, that's a great idea. We all need rest. Every once in a while, we need to get rest because ministry is hard work. Now, you're not going to hear me complain. That's for sure. I'm living my dream. Okay, I, I truly am. Uh, but all mis- ministers need rest. All believers who work in ministry need a time of rest. Okay, not just pastors. Vance Havner said this. He said, if we don't come apart and rest from time to time, then we'll just come apart and I really like that analogy. He's exactly right. So take some time to get away with Christ and to find your rest, your Sabbath in him. But there were two places at this time called Bethsaida, and so most believe that this Bethsaida that's mentioned here in our text was the region that was just east rather, of the Jordan River. It would have been on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, right adjacent to Capernaum, uh, the, the place where they had been ministering all throughout that region. And so. Um, it's also interesting in Matthew 14, it tells us that they took a boat. So when they headed out for rest, they took a boat there, uh, which probably means that they were sailing along the Northern shoreline of the sea of Galilee at this time. Uh, and hopefully it was a little better boat ride this time. I hope that it was peaceful and quiet. Unlike the trip before that they had across the sea, because they're soon going to find out that the rest that they sought is going to be short lived verse 11. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So obviously rest was very hard to come by at this point in Christ's ministry. Okay. Yet Christ again was never, ever put out by people. Okay. He was often interrupted, but he was never frustrated by that interruption. Okay. And man, can I personally learn a lot from that right there? But I want you to notice that Christ received the multitudes who followed him. Even as he and his disciples were seeking some rest, Christ received them. So I hope you know that Christ is never, ever too busy for you. Okay, he will receive everyone who will come to him whenever they come. Okay, and Christ was still again, as we notice here, he was already and still doing everything that he had asked the disciples to do. Did you see that? What did he ask him to do to go and preach and then do the miracles? Look at what he does here. He received them, and then he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He gave them the message first, and then he done the miracles. Uh, I think that's really great. First the message, then the miracle. And it's important to know here, I think we learned in verse 11, that uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ, he's already been where he's asking you to go. And he's already done everything that he's asking you to do. And the message that we have to tell is just as relevant today as it was back in the disciples' day. Okay, The kingdom of God is at hand. It is. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. Okay? And so the greatest need that any of us have is to enter into the kingdom of God by receiving the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, One more thing quickly, and then we're done. I want you to remember what Herod said back in Luke chapter 9, verse 9. We just read it. Luke said uh, that Herod sought that he might see him. Um, But of course, he never did. Herod never did, as far as we can tell. But I want you to think about the conscience of this man. Think about what was going on in his heart. This man who had a prophet of God beheaded at the request of his sister in law. What must have been going through his mind? You know, he could have truly sought Christ. There's no doubt about that. And if he had sought Christ, he would have been forgiven. Okay, if he had wanted to. But scripture tells us that when Christ does finally meet up with Herod over in Luke chapter 23, verses six through 12, that it appears that Herod's conscience has been seared. Okay, because Herod does not receive Christ. He's no longer inquisitive. He actually mocks Christ, just like all of the other people. And of course, at that point, Christ even refuses to speak to him. Matthew Henry said, Maybe Herod never sought Christ because he thought it was below him. Or maybe because he wished not to hear any more reproof about his sin. But by delaying it, his heart was hardened. And when he did see Jesus, he was as much prejudiced rather against him as all the others. Man. So let me wrap it up by saying this. Guys, don't put off your decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Don't put that off. Don't delay any longer. His spirit will not strive with us forever. That's Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. So turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today, right now, if you never have, right? Now for the believers, those of us who do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me say it like this. Don't delay your obedience any longer. Let's not obey our obedience to Christ anymore. What is it that Christ has commanded me to do that I know in my heart is true, but I have yet to do it? I need to do that. What am I waiting for? Go live a testimony that will be worth telling when Christ brings you home for all of eternity. These disciples had a testimony. They went out through all the region of Galilee and they came back and told Christ all that they had done. What are you going to be able to tell Christ when you get home? What kind of testimony will you have lived when Christ brings you to his heavenly home? The heavenly Bethsaida, the house of fish, right? The disciples were sent and they went and they returned. So you and I, in the same way as the church of Christ today, we are sent. But will we go? Will we go? And what testimony will I have to tell the Lord Jesus Christ when I get home? Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would, again, through your Spirit, teach us, draw us closer to you. Lord, help us to get the message from our head into our heart where it really matters. Lord, we want to be obedient to what it is you're asking us to do. If there's anybody who is hearing this message now and and doesn't have a relationship with you, then I pray that that would end. I pray that they would turn from their sin and, and just surrender to Christ, believing that You are the son of God who died on the cross for their sins and took your life up again on the third day in the miracle of resurrection so that we could have that same hope of resurrection in Christ. I pray that they would turn from their sins and trust in you alone by faith to save them right now. For every believer that's hearing this, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to the call of Christ. And that may look different in all of our lives. You're asking us to do different things. You've gifted us in different ways, but we all have a part to play. We all have something to do and somewhere to go in the kingdom of Christ, in the church of Christ. You want to use the body of believers to accomplish your work. So what is that? What does that mean for me? Help me to be obedient to that, Lord. Help me to be courageous and do it exactly what it is you're telling me to do. Help me to be faithful. And Lord, we're going to trust that you will equip us and that you will accomplish your work through us through power and authority that comes from Christ and it will all be for your glory Lord my prayer is that every person in this room and everyone listening when we get back to the house when we get to our home in heaven and we get to see Jesus Christ we get to see you face to face that we will have a story to tell my guess is that story is going to be all about you Lord everything that you've done in us and through us to bring glory to your name. Because it's not about us. It's about Christ. So use us, Lord, for your glory. Take us into every region of Union, Missouri and beyond. Lord, the disciples went everywhere. That's where we need to go. So would you open the doors? Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you are doing and all that you're going to do. Help us to remain faithful. Help us to remain humble before you, Lord. Completely dependent upon your spirit to work in us and through us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen.